You all have gotten so clappy lately. I don't think I'm going to win this one. Let us pray. Give me, Lord, that purity of conscience which alone can receive your inspirations. My ears are dull so that I cannot hear your voice. My eyes are dim so that I cannot see the signs of your presence. Yet you alone can quicken my hearing and purge my sight and cleanse and renew my heart. Teach me to sit at your feet and to hear now your word. Amen. Feel free to pray for me while I read this passage. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders and then walked backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years. And then he died. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Medai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphtah, and Togamah. The sons of Javan, Elishah, Tarshish, the Kittites, and the Rodanites. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Septa, Raama. Septika, the sons of Raama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty, mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like, Lim, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kela, and Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh. Rhea, both Ur, Kalah, and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kalah, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphthuites, Pathrusites, Kashuhites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphotorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Avarites, Zemurites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebuin as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages and their territories and nations.
Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hal, Gether, and Meshach. Arphaxed was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. The two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almadad, Shiphala, Hazarmaeth, Jareth, Hadarim, Uzzah, Dikla, Obel, um, Bimel, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Misha towards Safar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages and their territories and nations. And these are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations, and from these nations spread out over the earth after the flood. This is the word of the Lord. Were you praying? No, 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 no. no I have a Hebrew teacher who would fail me all over again. The old lingers, the nations spread. Noah. Can you blame them? If the story of Noah and his sons in the aftermath of the great flood were written by our contemporaries, it would read differently. The vocabulary of post-traumatic stress syndrome would be central, and survivor's guilt would be explained as explanation. There would be talk of exhaustion and depression and weariness of work. The notion of resultant psychological breakdown would be in the conversation. And so, too, would its effect leading to family dysfunction. Drinking to drunkenness in order to dull the pain or for simple forgetfulness would be offered as reason, if not justification, but certainly for our sympathy. Can you blame them? And this may be all well and good for our understanding and our caution. As the Bible says more and more about the human condition in the chapters and in the centuries to come, it will illustrate with narratives like this a cautionary tale about drinking and the human vulnerability to wine. But the Bible has a simpler, more profound point to make in this after-flood story. Not all is well. Not nearly. Perhaps we had some hope of it. The great flood had washed away the great wickedness of the world. Never again would violence and corruption reign unchecked. God, by his own words, was on the task now of limiting human destructiveness. Law and covenant were announced, accompanied by divine promise. Perhaps now all would be well. And for the first time, our unspoken hope in the still silence of an unpopulated world is that the post-flood world would be a second Eden with a second Adam, with a second chance. When the chaotic waters drowned the destruction, might it also have washed away the bent toward destructiveness? When the earth was covered and the waters receded, might not the world have been washed? Is it too much to hope that the chaos had cleansed Yes, as it turns out. And the story of Noah and his sons teach us. The chaos had destroyed. 
and God had wonderfully saved, but the world was not thereby renewed. It is given a new beginning, and now additional necessary helps, guidance and accountability by way of law, and gift and assurance by way of covenant. This is a new beginning, but not a new humanity. The surface of the ground had been flooded and all that lived on it, but the human heart had not been washed. Change, true and lasting, would come only by effort. The long, long work of human instruction and thus incremental, incremental improvement was just now beginning. This story, which begins with Noah's drunkenness, sobers us. I got to thank the Thursday evening Bible class for that one. Just where we would feel a good story and want one to warm us, we feel a chill as exposed Noah lies naked. Are you, like me, willing to admit that not only do we wish it were not so, but that even if it were, it hadn't been told us? I just as soon not know this, I think. When reading this already frightful story of Noah and the flood to our children, we will always be tempted to end it before it ends itself with this story. And as you turn out the lights, you choose to let the promise of God in a rainbow be the last word, not the curse of a father on his son. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, you can see by my children's story schedule, I will not be telling them the story of Noah and the flood. Your pastor is a coward. I recommend it on occasion. And quite frankly, look at your faces when I read this story. It's like I just told you there is no Santa. Noah has fallen. But wisdom requires us as adults to recognize that we cannot have a better past. This too is us, self-destructive still vulnerable to others. So let the wisdom of the Bible teach us this. What is natural, that is, what is according to human nature, is not by that alone, therefore, virtuous. Our nature is as yet unstructed and of its own, and on its own, an insufficient guide. If we are to think of Noah as a second Adam, and thus humanity having a second chance, we read in the story for a second time, we disappoint. Alas. But there is progress. Noah is not innocent like Adam, neither knowing good or evil. He has heard from his ancestors what we have lately studied in this sermon series. There is no report of Adam fulfilling his divine commission to work the land. But Noah does. Noah's a man of the soil, our text proclaims. He proceeded to plant. He did well. Grapevines need careful planting and vigilant pruning, positioning to excellent sun exposure, knowledge of just right fertilizing, and three years or so to produce the first grapes worthy of harvesting. Noah drank some of his hard-won harvest. Drunk. He was naked. While in Eden, the nakedness of Adam and Eve was without shame. Nakedness is shameful now. It exposes baseness, the animality, animality of the human. It hides the spiritual. We need covering. 
God has provided this when it was needed to Adam and Eve. Nakedness tempts sexual urge, you know this. It will not be the Bible's last story about bearing skin as prelude to bearing the lust of the heart. And nakedness offers itself to exploitation, making one vulnerable. Some combination of those things resulted in Ham, son of Noah, taking advantage of the exposed vulnerable one, his father, and for want of a better expression, unfathering Noah. Later in Leviticus, when a much fuller law is given, the phrase uncovering your father's nakedness will mean undoubtedly to have illicit sexual relations. Maybe that happened here, maybe not. What the story in its brevity wants us to know is that Ham humiliated his father. And like Lamech before him, he bragged about it to his brothers. If you're a play director and want to direct the actor playing Ham, you tell him to speak with a dismissive tone and contemptuous gestures. That old man, he isn't what he once was, and maybe never was. Talked with God? Ha! Intoxicated, he hears voices now. Did all that God commanded him? He can't do anything now. He's got no more going for him than the animals of the ark. Look at him, as I did. Look at him. Not much of a father. Certainly not a father of the human race. If the sexual is present in the story, it's not the last time in the Bible. Absalom, son of David, rival of David, sleeps with David's wives in full view of the public, that's important to his purpose, to expose it, that it be seen, in order to expose the weakness and vulnerability of his father. To uncover the nakedness of the father is to sleep with his wife. That is, to uncover now what he cannot protect, to show it to be so, unable to cover even his own. It's less about lust, probably, and more about power. But both Freud and Marx will love the story. The uncovering is saying, the emperor has no clothes. Well, Noah didn't. The Bible does not present Noah as an emperor, a man of extraordinary qualities, a hero king like in the other ancient Near Eastern flood myths. Noah is more every man, a man who responds to God with an obedience. Noah is not an enviable figure. Really, do you want this to be the story of your life? Nor is he set high for another to be tempted to take down to size. His reputation does not compete. We identify with Noah, not wish him harm. Ham acts badly. Ham kicks a good man when he's down. Not so his brothers. God had covered Adam and Eve. Noah's two other sons, rejecting Ham's humiliating bragging, carefully, cautiously cover their father. The Bible will teach the difference between a cover-up and covering. The Bible will teach love covers a multitude of sins. This is what God does. This is our work too. Two boys cover the sin of their father. They will be rewarded for it. One man has his sins covered. The Bible will not punish him for it. Noah, now sober and sobered, knowing that his fatherhood has been violated, 
violates Ham's fatherhood. He curses not Ham, his son, but Ham's son, Canaan. He unfathers Ham. This is now the first use of this new tool in the human hand, law. First exercised, it appears to be without mercy. Canaan will serve his brothers, a servant without a family of his own, so to speak, serving another's family. Now, it's not clear to us that this curse is that something that Noah can make happen. How could Noah make this happen? And not only is it not clear, not only is it clear that it is Noah who curses, not God, Noah does not ask God to help make it so. Perhaps the curse is straightforward prediction of what will be the natural, if that's the right word, consequence of Ham's evil. What kind of son do you think Ham will raise? Not respecting authority, he will have none. Shem and Japheth had done well. They will do well. When the Bible codifies this saying, honor your father and your mother in the great commandments, it'll be the only one accompanied with a promise. Do this, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land. Noah blesses them both. Again, perhaps more of a prediction of consequence than will or wish. Shem and Hapath, Japheth had done well. They will do well. Noah has another 350 years to go. Perhaps for the first time, the long years are not to be seen as all blessing. That's a long remembering of the world's most painful purge. The wickedness he witnessed in his first years, yes, is gone. But in his last years, so too is everything else. And then, at his end, it is said of Noah what had been said of all of his ancestors back to Adam. And then he died. Maybe it was a mercy. This is the last we will hear of Noah in the Bible. We will hear of the wickedness of his generation as a cautionary tale in the New Testament. We will hear the Savior illustrate the quickness of his own return in judgment by recalling how unexpectedly he came, uh, the flood came in Noah's generation. And we will hear Noah's name in the book of Hebrews recited with the faithful of old. But this is the last story told of him. Only at the end had we heard Noah speak. He had cursed and blessed. The new was possible. The old lingered. And the old with the new spread far and wide. This chapter is often called the Table of Nations. It's a verbal map of the world as known in the centuries of the writing of the book of Genesis. Though some of these names are names of individuals, Canaan, Nimrod, some are places, Sidon and Sheba, some are peoples, Hittites and Philistines, some are nations, Cush and Egypt, people in place, clans and cities, nations and empires, all, all, this is most clear, are from one stock of humanity, one descent, one dispersal, diverse, growing distant, yet all touching each other. The borders here are shared. 
There is no them in this chapter. There is only us. This is the third time Genesis has done this. First, there was the record of the family of the heavens and the earth. One creation having one creator, no them, just us. Next, there was the family of Adam and Eve, Cain's line, Seth's line. One humanity having one parentage, again, no them, just us. And now there is the family of Noah's sons. One earth having one population. All are us. The sad, self-serving, murderous separations of modern thought that invented race and made castes of these lineages one over the other pervert the Noah and Canaan story beyond recognition and betray the purpose of this record of one family. These are the clans of Noah's sons, says the Bible. From these the nations came. In the long list that I read, no ages are given. That won't matter anymore. Not how long, but now how wide. Japheth are the seafarers of the far seas, the North Mediterranean, if you will, mostly east but some west. Ham are the urban dwellers of the near seas, South Mediterranean, concentrated in the east. Shem are the nomads scattered widely, bound by the Arabic and Persian seas in Mesopotamia. There are exactly seven names named, 70 names named. No doubt, no accident. The count stops at the perfection of completion. This is, in that day, all the known nations. Well, all but one. Israel, by whom and for whom this was written, is not named. Israel, when first introduced only one chapter from now, will be created by God from within this dispersal, placed at the center of these concentric rings of peoples for the sake of all the peoples, blessed to be a blessing, God's presence in one for the sake of God's work in all. Still one table of nations under one God who seeks and saves the lost, however near or far, and who will begin to promise and show that he will make all things new. Again, there's much work to be done. Nimrod, who alone in this chapter has some narrative told with his name, a mighty warrior, a mighty hunter, whose name becomes an epitaph, builds an empire, a kingdom with city-state centers. Humanity has gotten big, but not better. Babylon. Nineveh. Hmm. The Bible and history will later tell the stories of these centers. Humanity is going out, but it's not growing up, and it's certainly not going up. The next story in Genesis will tell of humanity's first attempt to go up in the Valley of Babel, but it fails on its own. We had learned this earlier, us without God fails. This chapter and the story of exposed Noah before it tests our conviction that all the scripture is written for us and is, as it says of itself, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
Humanity is being instructed by the acts of God in history, and we are being instructed by this written record of it. We are being taught, among other things. Distance may come to mean distinction, and distinction difference, but difference must not become division and divisiveness. Before there were many kingdoms, we were one kingdom, a family. Before our tortured history of war and rumor of war, we were in a boat together. There God saved us, together. This genealogy told name by name by name of common divine creation and shared human generation names us as one and is told to help keep us one. Scale is not salvation. It cannot replace reform in righteousness. Empires come and go. The Bible is never impressed with them. Big has meant too often not better, but better at being bad. When God restarts again in chapter 12, he will again talk to one man, and he will ask him to leave the great empire of his day. Family matters matter. These had been stories of individuals early on, Adam, Eve, Abel, Cain, Enoch, Lamech, now Nimrod. But they have all been introduced by the Bibles. This is the family of. Not much of a family. The function is dysfunction. Until now. Until a family builds an ark together. Until two sons honor their father and their mother, reversing not just Ham, but two brothers beautifully and boldly reversing Cain and Abel. Stories of brothers will fill the final chapters of Genesis. The instruction of humanity in the wisdom of God has now begun. The Bible's report of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Are we learning? The Bible teaches us that its wisdom is not only for our living, but for our life. The Bible, it says of itself, makes us wise unto salvation. How so? When the good news is proclaimed in all of its fullness, we will learn of a son descending from a father whose genealogy will be told us, one whose fathers include Noah, and Adam, son of God, the text will say. This brother to us, one of us, will come to that nation placed millennia ago at our common center. He will live his life, lived in the full view of the four full gospels, in order to reveal to us his father, our father, to show him He is the perfect image of the all-wise God. And he will show all of humanity what a life when lived fully, knowing and trusting the wisdom of God looks like. And he will give this life for us, dying that we would no longer, taking on himself the sins of Ham, 
Noah, Lamech, Cain, Eve, Adam, everyone all the way back. And rising that we might live anew. Rising that the last word said of us would not be. And then he died. Knowing this makes us wise unto salvation. Do you know this? Amen? Let us pray. Even naming them makes them sound foreign. They are not in our heart. Sometimes we alone are in our hearts. But we have learned of your heart through this record of your blessing the nations and sending them out. That they all belong to you. And being yours, if we would be yours, must remember to be included among them. We know that we cannot return to the garden, but we know that you lead us to an even better place. Give us this instruction. Make us wise even, wise unto salvation. Amen.